Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Chuck Hawkins, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. It's been a long time, man. It has. We uh, knew each other when we were a lot younger. Maybe, when did we first meet? I don't know. I think I met your mom first. She was my kindergarten teacher. Oh, that's right. That's right. Super small world, and I was in that school at the same time. Yep. Was your mom? She, your mom was at Liberty at the time. She was at Gandhi. Gandhi. Yep. Gandhi. Okay. Yeah, and so I guess we knew each other technically when we were in elementary school. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, we grew up in public schools in Hanover County together, uh, and then I, of course, went off to a school, and you, you stayed in public schools. But tell me what it was like growing up uh, in Hanover County. Uh, it was unique for me because uh, I lived in Mechanicsville, but I went to Patrick Henry. That's right. Or to the schools on the west end of the county, because uh, my parents taught over there. So Earl and Linda dragged us to their side of the county for right. um, their work day. It was nice to have parents in school because you could go in the teacher's lounge, get get a coke after school, and right. and uh, enjoy it. Um, so that was, that was the unique aspect of it. It was kind of weird, right? Because most kids, like if you were in Mechanicsville, you went to what was called Lee Davis at the time. Now it's called Mechanicsville. And if you lived on the western half, you went to Patrick Henry and those schools that fed into Patrick Henry. Uh, were there other kids like you that were traveling that much to get to school? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I, I can't name another one besides you and my your sister. sister. Yeah, 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 it's crazy. And by the way, I think your mom said that she enjoyed having my sister more than me i never hear that much um my mom's always says that yeah she's the only teacher that i ever heard say that that's funny yeah uh, was my mom a good teacher oh yeah do you really remember being yeah, in her class i learned my alphabet nice. through her. <laughs> that's fantastic so how did you spend your time when you were a younger kid before you could drive kind of thing what did you do uh sports everything was sports or or playing uh Army men, military, something along those lines, watching war movies. Uh, but everything centered around sports. What was your favorite movie growing up? Probably A Bridge Too Far. Ooh, it's a good one. That's a really good one. It it, it has a whole lot of stars that you didn't even know oh, that they were in there. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so many, they just didn't seem like stars when you watched the first couple of times. Right. But you look back at it, and that movie still holds, right? It's still oh, yeah. a really good movie. Yep. All right, so what, what was your favorite sport? Uh, by far, football. I'm with you, but and did you play football at, in college? No, I played baseball. Oh, that's right. Duke Hazel Grove and myself, <laughs> we, we played at Emory and Henry. Yeah, y'all uh, was Duke any good in high school? Oh yeah, he was a fantastic infielder and and one of the best wiffle ball players in the in the area. <laughs> Is that uh, all things like pitching, hitting, and fielding? Absolutely. <laughs> He's, he's uh, deceptively fast, too. Yes, he is. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, uh, he played a good shortstop. He was a very good shortstop. Uh, in fact, he and I were on a Legion team together, and we both tried off shortstop. I ended up uh, getting the position at the beginning of the season. By, the, like, the fifth or sixth game, they realized Duke was a lot better at me than at shortstop. <laughs> uh, did you play football in high school? No. Only, only uh, rec league at Blue Star. Oh, yeah, you were a cowboy. I was a Viking. But you knew all the Vikings, right? Because you went to school with them. That's right. That had to be weird. It was. Uh, I remember uh, George Winston ran back an opening kickoff one time, and I'm over there congratulating <laughs> him. And the coach is like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was telling George, good job. Right. These are my friends. <laughs> you probably had more friends on the Vikings than you did on the uh, Cowboys. Yep. I only pretty much knew the kids in my neighborhood or kids on, on the teams that I was playing on. Right. 
Wow, that's crazy. Uh, all right, so your parents taught, both of them taught in the school system. Your dad, I think, taught history. Correct. And what did your mom teach? She taught a little bit of everything in elementary school, mainly math and history. Okay. Um, and then she became a guidance counselor. So tell me about what it was like being raised by your parents. Uh, very disciplined. Uh, I remember one time that I was probably doing something that, that I shouldn't be doing, along with Tommy Pond, who's now a state trooper, mm. um, at a party. And uh, the cops came along and busted the party. And he has one of the police officers asked me for my ID, and I gave it to him. And he said, oh, I know you don't want me to call your dad. <laughs> and I said, you're absolutely right, sir. <laughs> Nobody would want Earl Hawkins getting that phone call. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, your dad, uh, he's no longer with us, passed away a few years ago, but hes he was a big man. Like, he's very, well, he was lean, but big shoulders. He just, he reminded me of a, just a giant guy that probably bench pressed 500 pounds without yeah. even trying kind of thing. He could. He uh, warmed up with 320. That's crazy. And uh, he, he went and played softball at the Virginia State Penitentiary one time. And one of the inmates said, hey, can any of y'all lift this? And that's so I, I might be able to give it a shot. Uh, I might be able to do it. Let me let me take a take a try at it. And uh, he went over there, pumped it up. They said like twenty times. Mm. Uh, I don't know how much was on there, but he had a whole uh, following of inmates that during the softball game going, "Hey, big man, good job! <laughs> hey, big man, hit it, hit it! All right, good job!" He's he was what six four six six four and a half yeah. about two. 220, 230. Yeah, he was just, he seemed like a giant muscle. He was. And he, and he was prolific at softball, right? Absolutely. Yeah, like he could, he played in well into his 50s, didn't he? Yeah, actually, that's how we got to Hanover County. Really? Was uh, he was playing softball in Petersburg and they refused to pitch to him. Mm. So uh, Gilly Howard said, I need an a outfielder for my team. Why don't y'all come over this way and play in the Richmond area? So that said, all right. So we bought a house, or they bought a house in Hanover, and uh, he started playing softball over here in Richmond. And moving to Hanover County, just he was a teacher at the time, so he could move just just about anywhere and teach, right? Right. And so you move for softball. Yep. That's how much he was into softball. <laughs> yep. Did he play on a bunch of different teams during the week, kind of thing? Oh yeah. Yep. He couple of leagues in uh, Hanover at Parker Field and Henrico Complex and. Uh, of course, on tournament teams. He didn't like to travel much, mm. so he stayed more local. Um, but some of his friends, like Donnie Clatterball and those guys, they would travel all over the country. He didn't want to travel that much. He wanted to be with his wife and kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he, he was in the Hall of, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. yeah. How do you get in the Hall of Fame and not travel that much? Well, you've got to be pretty good. <laughs> he's got to be really good. How far could he hit a softball? Uh, easily 330. Wow. And I mean, he could hit it out of a baseball stadium. Mm, that's crazy. Are you are you that powerful with a swing? No. Yeah. Nobody Not is. Close. Right. It's crazy. Are you still playing softball? I do. You're. We're the same age. I haven't thought about playing softball in ten years, and you're still playing. Yeah, I played this summer for first time in a league in a long time. Uh, I enjoyed it. I uh, had a lot of help going out hitting with uh, Donnie Clatterball and some of those guys. Really helped my swing. Well, he's he's prolific too, right? Very much so. Yeah, yeah, and he's still around. Oh yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, all right, so your parents went to Emory and Henry. Yes. Right? Are they from that part of the world? No, they're from uh, Petersburg area. Okay. 
uh, Dinwiddie County. Okay. So uh, kind of grew up in the country. Yeah. Dad, dad went to Petersburg High School. He was supposed to go to Thomas Dale, but he wanted to go to Petersburg. Uh, I think their football program was a little bit better at the time. And then mom grew up in, in Dinwiddie. Okay. So your mom kind of grew up in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they met in high school? They did. They had a blind date and uh, they did it all through high school. And then dad got recruited by Florida State and went down and played football for a year down there. Uh, actually beat out Fred Bolitnikoff for the starting running back job. Oh, wow. Uh, the coaches at Florida State said, well, this guy's good enough. We got to get him on the field somewhere. So they made Fred Bolitnikoff a wide receiver. Wait a minute. Your dad's the reason Fred Bolitnikoff played wide receiver? <laughs> I, I, I say that's a. Uh, a pretty good connection. Oh wow, that's crazy! So why was he there only a year? Do you? You said he didn't like the heat. He didn't like going to uh, uh, having to tr- go a mile to his first class mm. early in the morning, and I think he missed mom. Yeah, because mom was back here. Yes, and they they were the same year in school. Uh, one year, one year apart. Okay, and so she was still in high school, and then so they decided to go to the same college. The very next year uh yeah he was he decided he wanted to come back to virginia and play ball and uh he was looking at some schools virginia tech and emory and henry and uh he said he really felt at home at emory and mom joined him there yeah what, what was it about emory you think for both of them and, and you can obviously speak from personal experience that you ended up there too oh yeah it's a great community great school uh football program was top notch at the time uh i think they just had a uh Awesome experience there. Made a lot of friends and uh, had a good time. It's a small school, too, so there's a real sense of community across the board. Less than a 1,000 people. Yeah. And so I remember when you and Duke went to Emory, and y'all were going to play baseball, but aren't there like 90 uh, uh, incoming freshman boys or young men that ended up trying out for the football team, something crazy like that? Oh, yeah. I would say more than half of the uh, incoming freshmen – uh, on the guy's side was were football players. And how does Emory and Henry have that reputation as just a, a, a Division three? And I think they're about to become Division two, but they've been Correct. Division three for a long time. How do you pull that many kids to want to play football in that part of uh, the state? Uh, I would attribute that to the school and to the coaches. Yeah. Uh, just building their reputation and uh, continuing the, the reputation that the football program had. I mean, they were always a, a top two or top three team in the in the uh, conference, right? Yeah, usually. Yep. Yeah, I I I don't have have memory of every year, but every time I I looked at them, they were uh, number one or number two. Yep, that's crazy. And was the baseball program so prolific? Not not at all. <laughs> we had a we had a great couple of coaches with uh, Fred Self, who was a football coach who did baseball on the side, and then uh, Trey McCall, who was actually drafted by the Phillies. Mm. Um, and I believe like 89, it might have been first overall, but then he had some shoulder issues who became our coach, and uh, we had a great time. I'll just put it that way. And you played outfield, right? Yeah, I was an outfielder. Yeah. Uh, did, what did you enjoy more, the field or hitting? Uh, I enjoy running down fly balls more than anything. It's fun once you get good at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Duke played third? Duke played shortstop. Short. Did he play third at all? Mm, not at Emory, no. Yeah. I don't know why I had that in my brain that he played third. Yeah. Could Duke hit the ball? Uh, I think we all struggled a little <laughs> bit with that. Um, you know, I think I was one for ten my freshman year. Oh my goodness! Uh, he may have been a little bit better, um, but that steadily improved enough so that I was awarded um, most improved player. I don't know if that's a <laughs> an award you want to claim or not, but but uh, 
my junior year. So yeah, the second half of that story is a great story. <laughs> First half, maybe not so much. So, uh, what are your memories besides baseball in college? Uh, just all the the friends, all the the people that we um, uh, hung out with, and and just did things with in that area. Uh, Chris Friedrich and all the fraternity brothers, and and just having a good time at a small school. Did you ever leave campus to do anything, or did you always stay on campus? I uh, stayed on campus a lot, um, but the the uh, surrounding area had a, had a few things to do that were entertaining. Right, right on. So uh, you graduated, uh, and then what did you do right after college? Right after college, I went to work. Um, uh, I stayed in the Emory area and went to work uh, for the Washington County Circuit Court Clerk. Mm. So I, I'd done an internship with them uh, my senior year and rolled that over into a, uh, a minimum wage paying job, but it was a job. Right. I uh, enjoyed that. I did that for six months, and then I moved back to Richmond and worked as a um, marketing rep for the Sam's Club that was opening up, so basically getting memberships and right. and customer service type things. And you're in your early 20s. You're like, I just anything that pays me something is, is cool. Exactly. You're, it's similar to, I think, most <laughs> kids in their early 20s. Right. All right, so you're doing that kind of thing, and then at what point you're like, I, I think I want to join the military. It was actually uh, while I was working at Sam's Club, I told one of the guys I was working with, you know, I really want to join the military, but everybody's drawn down because this is post uh, Desert Storm One, right, and so everybody's kind of drawn down, and and you know you know one of the aspects of being in the military service is you got to do it, go out and do things for your country that you may not want to do, you know, morally, ethically, or whatever the case may be, right. And so one of my friends at at Sam's Club mentioned to me, hey, well, why don't you look into the Coast Guard? They they do more than just War stuff is, right. what, is how he put it. Right. And I said, you know, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll go check that out. So the next day I went down to the recruiter and down in Midlothian. And um, he said, we glad, we'd be glad to have you. You meet all the criteria. But um, we're, we're so stocked with recruits right now, it's going to be at least a year before I can get you in. Mm. I said, oh, okay. Well, put me on the list then. And exactly a year later, he called and said, um, "We your spot for boot camp's opened up if you're ready to go. And I said, I'm ready. So did you think about Army, Marines, Navy? I did. I actually went to uh, all the other recruiters because my parents had told me, um, you know, I had actually talked to some of the recruiters before I went to college. And my parents said, you can talk to them all you want, but you're going to college and then you can talk, think about, you know, joining one of the military services. Right. So message loud and clear, well received, and so after college went and did that, and then I I had talked to the Navy guys again, um, because all the services offer something a little bit different, um, and the Navy said, well the Coast Guard is not going to be around in ten years, so you might as well you know join the Navy. <laughs> They're always talking smack, man. <laughs> and, and the Marines said, oh you can do twenty pull ups, um, you'd be really good for our infantry program or whatever it was at the time, and. Uh, okay, and in the army's like, yeah, we're always looking for good people, and so finally, I, you know, I, he, the recruiter at the Coast Guard, didn't offer me anything really. He said, you know, we can teach you some 
you know, basic navigation on the water and, you know, you're not going to be water skiing behind any of, your, of our boats or anything, but you probably still have a good time. I said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. Well, so, uh, and he didn't have to offer you anything, right? Because there was a basically a year-long wait list, essentially, yep. and so he didn't have to really try that hard. Right. And there were no bonuses. There were no guaranteed A schools. There were no guaranteed anything. Just, <laughs> just sign here, and we'll get you in when we can. How big is the Coast Guard, roughly? About 41, 42,000 people, maybe it's, a little bit more now. It's a lot bigger than people think it is. It is. Yeah. About, the, about the same size as the New York City Police Department. Wow, that's a good way to think about it. But you're covering the coastlines of the country, to include Alaska, right, which is a massive coastline. Not only that, um, we're overseas as well, doing a whole bunch of other jobs that really get no publicity, get no um, uh, real coverage of any kind. Um, during the wars, war especially. Um, so uh, Coast Guard has a lot to do, and they have a lot of good people to do it. So I want to come back to that international notion here in a mm-hmm. second. Um, when you first joined the Coast Guard, do you have any idea what you were getting into? None at all. But you went to basic. You enlisted. Correct. Uh, and uh, what was your specialty after basic? Uh, I was a seaman. Okay. So basically, you, um, you, you're just whatever. You, I mean, you're going to go to your first job, and you're going to do whatever they tell you to do. Luckily, I was um, <clears throat> selected. For the presidential honor guard, mm. so they during boot camp they came and and uh, told us what those guys do, and I said um, uh, that seems pretty interesting. It's better than going to a boat and painting the hull and <laughs> right. sweeping decks and so forth. So I said I, I wouldn't mind doing that because you, you learn some ins and outs on military customs and courtesies and how do you wear your uniform and all these. You become an expert, right? Uh, very much so. Yeah. So I, and I thought that that would help down the line. Um, so I said, I'll, I'll give that a try. And I interviewed for it. And fortunately, I was selected for it. One of two people in that class that got picked. Yeah, it's pretty rare to be able to make that unit. Wow. So I, I did that for my first uh, three and a half years. I had Normally, it's a two-year tour, but I got held over for the presidential inauguration. Mm-hmm. Is everybody like roughly the same height, the same size? Everybody's supposed to be over six foot, you know, slender, in shape. Um, for the most part, everybody is about that size. Uh, they, they can make shoes for you so that you at least get close to that. <laughs> um, I wasn't the tallest and I certainly wasn't the smallest or shortest. Right. Well, and you're still in really good shape. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to <laughs> say that because uh, our listening audience can't see us, but Rob and I are not in great shape and, and you're still like you were 25. Uh, no, I'm I'm in a shape. I don't know if it's great shape, but <laughs> a shape. You're, you're in better shape out of the three of us. And I should mention that Silent Rob is with us. And he, I am. And, he, and, and now he's not silent anymore. He, may, he might come in here. All right. You never know. All right. So how do you, so you move to a different assignment how, how do assignments work in the coast guard when you're enlisted so basically you fill out a dream sheet and i uh, put after my my uh, honor honor guard time i put in for all patrol boats or small boat stations in florida or puerto rico mm. and luckily i was able to get a patrol boat patrol boat out of fort pierce florida and Fort Pierce is golf side or the ocean side? Ocean side. Ocean side. And, um, and I put Florida because I knew that's where all the activity was, uh, or at least that was my perception. 
from all the covers that D7, Coast Guard District 7, uh, was the most active and busiest. Uh, every, every district has their nuance, you know, activity, but um, that always seemed like the most law enforcement-centric, search and rescue-centric uh, area to be in. Search and rescue mainly because of Cuba? Uh, everything, boaters. Oh, um, just oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, certainly, there were a lot of Cuban uh, migrants or Haitian migrants that w- that you would have to deal with that um, would come over in in boats that you couldn't believe were floating. Right. I would. You couldn't even say boat sometimes. Just they're things. like cars that had floors put them in, in them so they uh, could float. Inner tubes, uh, um, water bottles. I mean, whatever they could get to float. They would try to cross the Gulf and, and get to the U.S. And those waters can be treacherous at times. Absolutely. That's unbelievable. And then, of course, a lot of the law enforcement was a lot of drugs flowing through that part of the world, too. Yes. And we had a lot of partner agencies that we worked with um, that that there's a Coast Guard is a key component to sort of bringing all those uh, abilities, uh, technology and equipment together and and doing the best we can with the taxpayers money right yeah so uh how long did you do that tour oh that was a short one because um i got picked up for ocs while i was in my six months six month there so i had a short tour on that pb but long enough to get some sea time to make a petty officer both made third class what what e is that e e4 e4 kind of I know all the army stuff. I don't know the, the Coast Guard stuff. Yep. So, uh, so a short short time as a petty officer, but uh, had some great experiences. Um, got to learn a lot about being on the water, uh, on a patrol boat. We would go out for five days at a time, and my my job mainly was either helmsman or boarding a um, boarding team member. So. For four hours, I would sit on the helm mm. and drive the boat, basically. And then I would get four hours off. And then four hours later, I was back on the helm for five days straight. Now, if we had a boarding or some other act- activity come up while you were off for those four hours, you weren't getting any sleep. You were going to be boarding. You were going to do boardings or you were going to do whatever, whatever your watch quarter station bill call for you do to do during that activity that we were doing wow so yeah there were a lot of sleepless times on those yeah you know, it sounds like you're not getting a lot of sleep no not Spe- those, especially in that district right but it was good it was fun and it was uh it it helped shape you know how how you uh look at how other people are doing their jobs yeah. uh, when you get into a leadership position and were you uh, dying to be go to OCS? At what point did you know you wanted to go to OCS? I actually applied before I went to boot camp. Okay. Uh, I wasn't accepted. It took me a couple of tries to be accepted. Uh, petty officer, making petty officer may have helped. I don't know. But um, it showed that I had some initiative and wasn't just, uh, you know, taking anything for granted. Right. What was it about OCS that uh, was it an interest for you? When I went to see the recruiter, um, he said – he kind of explained the difference between enlisted and officer. And he said, if you want to be an officer, you're going to be ultimately responsible and ultimately accountable. 
and I said that's what I want to be yeah so that's what I I tried to gear uh, all the activities that I did tried to gear toward that so I could you know get into those leadership positions you wanted to uh, put your big britches on at some point yeah indeed you want to be in the middle of the ring that's right yeah that's cool so, all right so tell me about OCS how long is it uh, at that time it was 17 weeks I think it's still about the same time but it was in Yorktown uh, which was nice because it's not too far from home. Yeah. So the first nine weeks, you're pretty much on lockdown there. Um, but then you you earn your way off. And so I was able to come home weeks 10 through 17, do laundry, do other things. Brought some of my classmates home with me just to get them off the base for a little bit. Um, now it's in New London, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wouldn't have had the same benefits that, uh, I had at that time, but yeah, it was nice. Yorktown's what hour and a half, maybe yes. from where you grew up, it, it, with traffic, so it wasn't even that far. Yeah, right. Back, mm-hmm. to, well, what year was this that you with OCS? Ninety-seven. Okay, so traffic was not great, but it wasn't horrible. Right. Yeah, yeah. Did your uh, friends enjoy coming to uh, Hanover? Oh yeah, they had yeah. to have. Right, beats being on base. That, if anything, they at least got them off base for a few hours, a little bit of time, so they could rest, recuperate, and not have to be uh strict and locked down all the time all right so lockdown what is that like like you you're limited to a certain part of base or are you locked down on base you're pretty much locked down on base you you go to from building a to building b and you're not looking anywhere else you're you're in formation with somebody else at all times you're not off by yourself you don't have any real downtime to yourself um so it, it can get to you if you're if you're um not ready for it yeah, it's, it's an interesting question around uh, mental health because being off to yourself, a lot of people need that time to recharge and, and introverts in particular. And I, you and I, I think, are on the introverted side. You don't you don't get that opportunity at basic or it sounds like the first nine weeks of OCS. That's right. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, introverted people can be mentally tough, too. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. So do you have a specialty when you come out of OCS? Uh, not at the time. They kind of groom you for um, either – Aviation, operations ashore, operations afloat, or some sort of prevention background. At the time, it was called M, Marine Marine Safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I wanted to be in operations, but I kind of wanted to be on the ashore side. I enjoyed my patrol boat time, but I didn't, I didn't want to be out to sea for four to six months at a time. Right. Um, so I really wanted to do ashore operations, but as luck would have it in the OCS class ahead of mine, the guy that was supposed to go to the honor guard uh, got in a fight with another OCS person, so they both lost their orders. So the honor guard was scrambling to find uh, another officer. Well, ding, ding, guess who had experience? Honor guard experience won and uh, was next up in the queue. And so I got selected to go back to the honor guard. That that fight led to uh, you going back to the honor guard. It, just like you, your dad turned uh, Fred Belitkov into a wide receiver. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's uh, all right. So, did were you really looking forward to going back to the honor guard? Uh, I wanted to do something different, but I knew I I could do the job. Uh, it was a leadership position that I wanted. Um, I still had some friends there, um, and all the the missions that you do, I wasn't going to be a part of those anymore. Like when I was enlisted there, I color I carried the Coast Guard incident in the 1996 Olympics. I mm. uh, did a few funer- funerals for um, 
some heads of state, some dignitaries, oh, like wow. uh, Ron Brown when he had a plane crash, the Secretary of Commerce at the time. Right. Um, some some pretty high profile events. Yeah. So instead of actually being in those jobs now, I would be assigning people to those jobs and uh, making sure that we um, chose the right people to represent the Coast Guard. Right. Uh, do you have a picture from you at the uh, Olympics? A very distant one. Oh. Not, not one that you would see. There was a picture in the Atlanta Constitution Journal of the Coast Guard, or the uh, the um, colors, along with all the other displays going on at the time uh, from a very high up distant angle. Yeah. So you would... You wouldn't know it was me. Coast Guard uh, public affairs should be there for that, right? Should have had a really close-up shot of you. Well, I don't think we had a really robust public <laughs> affairs program at the time. <laughs> Man, I mean, that's a classic shot. How, how many times uh, are the Olympics on U.S. soil? I mean, it happens, but not a t- not a ton. Right. So, did you enjoy actually being an honor in the honor guard as an enlisted guy, or did you like being the guy who signed the? I enjoyed the enlisted time because you were actually doing the jobs. Um, I enjoyed the officer side of things because you were making decisions that uh, reflected upon the Coast Guard. So if you had a high-profile event, you wanted to select the best. And and you knew who the guys were that were going to go out there and give it their all because it's not easy to stand motionless for hours at a time. Oh, it's brutal. uh, In the heat. Um, so you really had to, to, to pay attention to your folks and, and understand them and make sure they understand what their mission was. And for the most part that happened. Yeah. The, uh, I would imagine the honor guard, most of those kids, I call them kids. They were in the twenties mostly. Right. They're all top notch typically. Right. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess there is a little, little bit of space between each one of them. Yeah. We'd have guys that would take their fun a little bit too far every Mm. once in a while or, or decide that something wasn't important where, you know, the Coast Guard said it was important. Right. They're still 20-something. <laughs> right. or, or maybe you even had, what, 18, 19-year-old yeah, kids? Yeah, we, we had 18, 19-year-olds. Yeah, wow. All right, so twice to the Honor Guard, which is unusual. That doesn't happen. N- not generally, no. Yeah. All right, so what, what were you doing after that? After that, I got, uh, well, actually, during that time, uh, the – Officer in charge of the honor guard passed away. Oh gosh, uh, he was in phenomenal shape. He ran ten miles a day, basically. Um, one of the other officers and I actually went to his house because he didn't show up for work, and uh, we found him. He passed away from a heart attack. How old was he? Forty-two. That's way too young. Yeah. Um, so I was the acting officer in charge at the time, and when the new officer in charge came in. He said, you've been here way too long. You know, he wanted to mold things. And he wanted his and, thing, yeah. And so um, he said, I'm going to short tour you here, and you can either go to Station Fort Lauderdale as the XO, or you can go to Pacific Tactical Law Enforcement Team in San Diego. I mm. said, I want to go to San Diego. Of course you do. Anybody and, in their right mind wants to go to San Diego, <laughs> if that's the choice, right? Yeah. I, I think um, we had 243 straight days of no rain, and – the high was 71 and the low was 70. That's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That's perfect weather. Yes. Yeah. How many days in a row? 
243. I, I remember, I specifically remember the weather, the meteorologist who has the easiest job in the world, right. uh, say that on, on TV one night. And so what happened on the 244th? It rained for 10 yeah, minutes? I think so. <laughs> and it got it, down to 69. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, so what was your job at uh, San Diego? So I was the officer in charge of law enforcement detachment 105. So our, our mission at that unit was basically to um, fill the gap in any job that the Coast Guard had that DOD or Congress or the president decided the Coast Guard needed to do, but we didn't have an answer for it. Mm. So initially we started out um, as uh, law enforcement, but basically um, running down shipments of drugs coming out of Colombia, Ecuador, um, Panama, right. those areas. So we'd have boats stationed off the coast working with the Navy and some of our other partners um, to, to track down drugs trying to get into the country. Could you go into international waters as a Coast Guardsman? Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we did a whole lot of that. Um, a lot of boardings, either either consensual boardings or we had bilateral agreements established by lawyers at Coast Guard headquarters with uh, other nations that we could board their boats. So if they were coming out of Colombia and we had an agreement with Colombia, it was you could do what you needed to do. Correct. Yeah. So how far out to sea do, do Coast Guard ships go? Whatever the mission requires? Pretty much, yeah. We have uh, now we have Coast Guard ships that can pretty much go around the world with no no issues. Um, but a lot of that during that time, we were using a lot of Navy uh, ships of opportunity. So a lot of frigates uh, spent a little bit of time on a cruiser, spent a little bit of time on a destroyer um, that were in the area. Uh, drug transit zone areas that um, were passing through. So we'd hop on to give them a law enforcement presence. Oh, gotcha. So what's the relationship between the Navy and the Coast Guard? Uh, pretty good. I mean, you have your joking about puddle sure. pirates and that sort of thing. <laughs> we're all over six foot because in case the boat sinks, we can just walk to shore. You, you get those that's, a, things. That's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so, but... there. It's not like the Coast Guard is part of the Department of the Navy. It's its own entity. Right. At that time, we were part of the Department of Transportation. So we were a very small fish in the big uh, Transportation Department pond. Right. Where they have, you know, all the other things going, FAA and all the other uh, big transportation industries. So the Coast Guard obviously has ships. It also has helicopters. There's no, are there fixed wing Yes. Uh, really? Mm-hmm. How many fixed-wing planes are not, there? Not very many. Uh, it's increased over the years, but a lot of C-130s. We have some C-27 Spartans and some reject aircraft from the Navy or from the Air Force. And uh, some we had some Falcons, which are basically Learjets. Mm. So Learjet like fit, fits like 12 people kind of thing? At the most. Yeah, yeah. And tw- yeah, 12 is, I guess, a pretty big one. Uh did you ever fly in any of these? I flew in them. I never flew flew them. You were never pilot of, right. of the thing. Um, what about helicopters? You like flying in helicopters? Oh, I, yeah. lo- I love flying in helicopters. I yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, when I went to aerosol school, one of I was one of the only people I know of from the Coast Guard to go to aerosol school. You went to the Army aerosol school? Yes, at Fort Belvoir. And so, wait a minute. So you're you're wearing a Coast Guard? Nope. I wore. I actually went to the PX, the Army PX, Fort Belvoir, and, and got permission to buy the camo, the 
BDUs. So you look like an army guy. So I was an army guy, and did you not? Just, did you not wear rank? Well, I, I was a non-rated at the time, okay. so I didn't have any. But um, I had Coast Guard name tapes. That's wild. And you were like the only guy there, maybe yeah. in the Coast Guard. Yep. What there were it? there were eight Marines, I think, and one Coast Guard guy, and like two hundred guys from the 82nd Airborne there. Wow. And actually. One of the guys there taught me how to eat MREs because, of course, we didn't have that. We were always sleeping either on a on a mattress on a ship in an air con- in an air conditioned ship uh, with three hot meals. Right. Whereas that's not always the case in the army. Right. Uh, but one of the guys that I played football with at Blue Star taught me how to eat MREs. Uh, Jeff Eanes, he was part of the 82nd Airborne at the time. And Small world, right? Very much so. Yeah. So, that was very, very neat and very small, uh, very interesting story. It's crazy. I didn't realize you went to air assault school. I, and I was fairly positive the Coast Guard didn't have its own air assault school. No, and nope. it's crazy they did it at Belvoir. What year was this? This was 97. Actually, I was supposed to come out to see Rob. He was in San Francisco at the time. Okay. And I got orders to go to air assault school and said, sorry, Rob, I'm, I'm going to have to cancel. I got these orders I really want to. I'm try a, out. I'm a Coast Guard guy who's about to go buy an Army uniform and an Army PX. Right. And, uh, I mean, I had to do things that I hadn't done. Like, I had to do the Army obstacle course mm-hmm. to get in. And uh, so I went and practiced on that one day, like, one day before I was supposed to do it. And uh, so I showed up there, and they said, all right, uh, we got all these other guys going through. If X number of these guys don't make it, then you'll get a shot. Okay, so I waited and waited and waited, and that X number came up, and then I got my shot and made it. How many obstacles? Do you remember roughly? Uh, it was, I think it was like 12 or 13. Yeah. I, I know that the Stairway to Heaven probably gave me the uh, – I didn't know I was afraid of heights until I – Oh, really? <laughs> How tall is it? It's, it's up there. Like 40, 50 feet? Uh, at least. Yeah, wow. It could have been through 100 as far as I knew, but – so a guy who wants to go to air assault school seems like a guy who wants to join the Marine Corps or the Army. No. Yeah, that's that's you are unique. That is super unique. <laughs> and how old were you when you did that? Uh, I was probably twenty-seven or twenty-eight. Okay, because you were yeah you were older than the average bear going yeah. through that too probably. No, twenty-six. Take that back, twenty-six. But still, you were probably yeah you were older than the average yep. for sure. Yeah, I remember um, when we were doing one of our. Long, long, long marches, runs. Army at, loves a long march. Yeah, at Air Assault School, uh, one of the sergeants, I forget exactly where in the E rank uh, the sergeant was, but he said, I've been waiting X number of years to get to the school, and I'm not going to mess up my chance to get through it. So, Yeah, it's uh, there's, there's a lot of ruck marching at Air Assault School. And Coast Guard guy, you, c- couldn't have imagined – that kind of uh, rock marching distance day after day. Correct. But you sucked it up and you made it happen. Uh, I did it. And uh, I was actually in the running for honor grad until the last day. Uh, mysteriously, my one of my eyelets on my boot was not blackened. Oh, that's, got, so, that's such Bush League I, stuff. I got five demerits and I got taken out of the running for – Undergrad, and if you and if you had been five years younger, instead of ninety seven, it's oh two. The boots had changed, and that wasn't even a thing. <laughs> oh, bad. 
But I think it was a conspiracy anyway. They didn't want a Coast Guard guy to, to they, they, they definitely didn't want a Coast Guard guy to, to be autograph. It'd be a little embarrassing for the Army, right, for that school anyway, with all those 82nd Airborne guys there too because they are some proud dudes. That's right. There's no doubt. All right. So we're going to come back to San Diego in a second. But we talked about international. I don't know how much you can talk about, but what what are we generally doing when we're not doing domestic service as the Coast Guard? Uh, largely, we're making sure um, that there's safe international commerce um, so that goods and services are transported around the world safely, uh, making sure that nothing illegal is coming into the country, um, and making sure that uh, there's safety out on the water. Okay. And so in some ways, depending on the mission, the Navy supplementing what you guys are doing, and, and sometimes it's vice versa. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a unique relationship. Well, I don't know if it's unique, but it's a interesting relationship because um, we need what they have and they need what we have. So yeah, and it's funny. Uh, I guess the good news is the government's not so big that we spent so much money that the Navy and Coast Guard don't need each other. I'm glad that that they they need each other to some degree because it meant we haven't blown both of them up to a crazy big size. Right. That's me saying saying that is not in uniform anymore. <laughs> All right. So San Diego. Uh, you had to love it out there. Did you ever want to leave? How long were you out there? I was out there for three years. Um, it, again, it's typically a two-year tour, uh, but I, I got selected to be the operations boss for um, the unit. So I went from being the officer in charge of Lead at 105 to managing um, the non-Leadettes that we had. Uh, Leadette is law enforcement detachment so it's a large larger element and you're the, basically the operations right. officer yeah. so um so there were nine nine teams plus training staff um plus command cadre so i, I was basically the, the manager of those nine leadettes uh and then kind of supervised training staff and was the liaison to the command cadre what was your rank then i was a lieutenant junior grade okay uh, wow that's a lot of responsibility for uh lieutenant jg yeah wow that's crazy was that typical um, for that, for Coast Guard, yeah, we, we do push down a lot of, or they push down a lot of responsibility to lower ranks. Um, in the Navy, they would have brought in probably a full lieutenant Yeah. Uh, for that type of job. If not, maybe uh, like a senior lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. All right, so uh, after San Diego, you had to be sad to leave San Diego. Well, actually, in San Diego um, is when 9-11 happened. Oh. So... Uh, that ramped up things quite a bit. So uh, that goes back to what I was saying when the Coast Guard has a mission that they're not sure what um, what forces or what do they need to do the mission. They sort of called on the, the tacklets, the mm-hmm. tactical law enforcement teams, to, to fill the void until they sorted everything out. Right. And so we were extremely busy at that time. I'm sending people all over the country, all over, essentially all over the world, doing um, interdiction operations at various places that we had no idea that we would ever send people to right? Uh, in the Middle East, uh, largely. Um, but then, of course, we're also uh, boarding cruise ships, making sure the cruise ships are safe and that um, just doing random patrols, uh, sending folks out into different harbors to make sure the harbors are safe. We don't right. have a, a coal-type incident or anything like that. So the the scope of work cre- increased 
tremendously. Exponentially, right? Yes. Um, so I did that for a year um, and was was sort of happy to, to say, all right, I'm ready to do something else. That's exhausting. It, it was. A year of that is a lot. Yeah. And we don't get overtime like some of the other <laughs> other government entities yeah whatever get. piece of paper you signed when you first signed up it, it says we can kind of do whatever we want with you so i was there 16 20 hours a, a day sometimes yeah. mm. and others are racking up overtime hours and you know you, you felt a little short of time but you know you keep the mission in focus yeah well it's about the mission and you and you be selfless even though it's hard to be selfless at times when you're watching people around you making racking up some real money that's right yeah that's crazy i had no idea we were boarding uh cruise ships like that yeah wow that's uh yeah it was a crazy time it was 20 years ago but it it uh in some ways feels like yesterday yeah and then uh along with that one of one of the oddest missions i ever had to do was uh when they were having the uh viecas protest down in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. uh, the, there was a need to escort school children from DOD bases to schools and uh, they said well who can we get to do that uh, let's get a tacklet to do it so I headed up a team that that basically escorted school buses from the DOD facilities to their schools and back it's crazy yeah and whoever thought you would be doing something like that <laughs> The, the, the diversity of experience is uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and and where's the water connection to this? And... <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Uh, trust me, the, the Marine Corps does stuff all the time that the Marine's not supposed to be doing. I thought your mission was supposed to be amphibious mm-hmm. assaults, but That's right. but, but you're, you're nowhere near water right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen all kinds of fun government entities in places that I never thought they should be. Right. But it is what it is. Uh, all right, so... After saying so, nine eleven that that year had to be nuts for you. It was, um, and it was like six, seven days a week kind of thing. Oh, seven days a week. So you were ba- you were basically uh, had a war footing essentially. Very much so. Yeah. Wow. All right. So after that year, was that the end of your time in San Diego? It, it was. Um, so in August of '02, I got assigned to um, actually got offered to go to Memphis, Tennessee, to be a deputy group commander. Memphis is on the Mississippi, so we're right. we're good so, with the water thing. Yeah, and that would be a completely different job than what I was doing. Um, going from law enforcement, high speed, you know, cutting edge tactics and and um, you know focus to a little bit more laid back, ace to navigation, you know, mm. river operations. And it's Mississippi, uh, Memphis too. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was like. Ah. It, you know, it'd be great to be a deputy group commander, but uh, it just doesn't sound very exciting. Well, you know what? We just upgraded this other job in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Uh, we upgraded the ops boss job to a um, lieutenant because I just got promoted. Right. Um, and you'd probably be a great fit for that one. And and the the uh, group commander there is incredible. His name is Dean Lee. Okay, I, I don't mind being, you know, going there. I give them that a try. It sounds a whole lot more fun. Plus, it was closer to home, and so I did that for three years, and that was that was a great tour. Was Dean Lee an awesome leader? Absolutely. What he made him so good? He he was very personal, down to earth, uh, cared about folks, um, and we did 
probably something a little more unconventional. Um, I had my group command duty officer board, and that's basically you know getting all the calls from the command center and, and launching assets and saying, okay, are we doing this? Are we looking for the right thing at the right place? Um, what other assets do we have available to go look? Um, so for my board, uh, Commander Lee at the time said, I want you to go to Dunkin' Donuts, give me a coffee. And I want you to stop by West Marine, get two things of oil. So I go and do that and he goes, all right, thanks for the coffee. And I want you to take the oil and I want you to go make sure that the uh, jet skis are topped off. So, okay. So we're out riding jet skis for a couple hours. Or are these Coast Guard jet skis? No, okay. his All personal right. jet skis. Got it. Uh, actually, the Coast Guard didn't experiment with jet skis, but decided that 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 probably wasn't the best boarding platform. That seemed like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're out enjoying his jet skis, and he pulls off to the side and says, "No, I don't think you're going to get anybody hurt." And I don't think you're going to hurt anybody. I'm going to make you a CDO. So that was the easiest board I've ever had in my life. Because <laughs> normally they're three or four hour boards. They're brutal, yeah. Yeah, you're asking, answering questions, going through scenarios and, and doing all kinds of other things and make you rack your brain on how you're going to solve this problem. Right. But uh, that's just a glimpse at what how he approached things. He was very different. Um, but very down to earth and an absolute phenomenal leader. And effective, obviously. Yeah. Because you got your missions done. You probably did them better than a lot of other units would have done. All right. So, did you get time in, in Memphis, in the city of Memphis? No. Uh, actually, I turned down that job and went to the. Oh, sorry. North, North Carolina. Got Moorhead. Moorhead City. Sorry. Yeah. I, I missed the Moorhead City thing. Nope. Yeah. yeah. But Moorhead City is a great place. Um, the whole, whole coast of North Carolina is just. Um, a fun place to be. It's really like three coasts because of uh, I, what's the intercoastal waterway there. Yep. You have two coastlines for that waterway plus the ocean right. coastline. Can are, Were y'all putting ships up in the in the inland waterway there? Yeah, actually, we had Station Hobuck in one of my one of the stations that I was responsible for. Uh, it was right there on the intercoastal. Wow. It's, it's a beautiful part of the country, too. It is. And the weather's nice, but it's not as nice as San Diego weather. Correct. The, uh, we, the humidity is brutal. Yeah, we did have a little bit of snow too. Something we didn't have in what? San Diego. It yep. snowed th- that part of Carolina. Yep, it did. Wow, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I son and I were out playing football in the snow one time, and I, I didn't think that would happen either on the on the Carolina coast like that. Yeah, yeah we had snow. What time of year was that? Uh, it was probably December, or January of '03 or '04. Yeah, that's unusual because the water's really warm for the summer, and it's typically warmer that time of year on the waterway. But it, yeah, I mean, crazy things happen. Yeah. All right, so Moorhead City, and you were in 03 there. Right. And in you charge had, of five stations, three patrol boats, and the operations center. And when, so when I was a commanding officer at an 03 level, you were accountable and responsible for everything, to include all the equipment. Yep. Like, were you, were you guys constantly checking to make sure you had everything, like on a daily basis kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and after 9-11, uh, we did get a lot more resources available to us so we actually had more more money and more things that we could 
we knew what to do with. So it's cool people, when you're training, but right. not cool when you're accounting for it. it absolutely. Yeah. yeah the, the trouble became, all right, how do we account for all this stuff and how are we keeping track of it and how are we going to maintain it and how are we going to make these processes so that it can be repeatable? Right. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Mm-hmm. You can apply everything <laughs> that you just said to a lot of jobs right. in the world. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. So, O three in the Coast Guard, you, you've got a family now. You mentioned your son. Um, were you just loving life? I was. Um, largely because I didn't go to a staff job, mm. which typically you want to, your, your career tracks, you're supposed to go field job, staff job, field job, staff job. This was going to be essentially my third field job. Yeah. And I was headed for a fourth. So I'm, I'm jealous because I, I did the field staff mm-hmm. field thing and it was, yeah, I, I did not like my staff time. No, I, I, I had my first staff job was as a lieutenant commander. Which You're is a, lucky. Very You're lucky. Really lucky. But I didn't know how all the, you know, levers and pulleys and widgets mm-hmm. work. Um, That's tough being that, an 04 doing that for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yep. So there was, a, there was more of a learning curve than you want a lieutenant commander to have. But, um, I wouldn't trade the field time for anything. Oh, I wouldn't either. Yeah. All right. So where did you go after Carolina? After Carolina, I went to become the commanding officer of Station South Padre Island, Texas. Okay. That was a phenomenal tour. Mm. I mean, the area is great. I, I worked with some incredible people and uh, just just loved the mission down there. Were you the uh, uh, fourth time or were you still in no, 03? 03. Wow. Yeah, as an 03 in the Coast Guard, Typically about five or six years, so I was on my second three-year. Got it. Part of a of being an O three. Okay. All right. What was so cool about Texas? Just the the mission. Uh, the station is about five miles from the Mexican border. Mm. Uh, so we're working with Border Patrol. We're working with uh, DEA. We're working with as as many government entities as wanted to work with us. We were there for them. Uh, we were working on the Rio Grande River. Uh, just, just having a, a really good time, you know, executing the missions. Right. Uh, some, you know, is the, is the Rio Grande river really navigable? Yeah. Yeah. You can put a boat on it, but our jurisdiction only goes to navigable waterways. Right. So, and you had to loosely interpret, you know, <laughs> where we could actually operate. It's where those jet skis can come in handy again. But they would be very handy there. <laughs> Uh, a little low for that area, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, certainly had a lot of fun. And then um, the big thing down there is uh, a lot of Mexican fishermen uh, come north of, of the the border, right? And do a lot of fishing, which, believe it or not, is takes millions and millions of dollars from the Texas economy, right? Uh, from the fisher fishermen down there, so it's a big problem. Um, then of course you have shrimpers and, and other things that, you know, they're so strapped for a profit margin. And then you have all these, uh, requirements that you put on for safety gear and make sure this equipment works. And, and so, uh, it's not a contentious relationship, but there's certainly a tenuous vibe that, you know, you want to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you got to be empathetic to, to the, the business side of it. Right. And, and, but the bottom line is you want to keep everybody safe, and, and we were able to do that. I mean, with, you know, 
minor minor instances. Well, yeah, it, it's amazing. The the coastline of our country is it's different. Like you you can go sixty miles away, and, and it's a different mission or objective set for the Coast Guard. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Every every station could have a, a different mission, and they could be in the same district. Mm. And it, it's incredible. Yeah, it's wild. Um, so we've been we've been kind of all over the country at this point in your career, and you're still in 03, uh, and you were ending your your second three years essentially. Right. Uh, all right, and we're we're at about an hour. We can go as long as you want, um, but we'll speed up a little bit unless sure. unless you want to stay at a particular place. So yeah, after we get to the boring staff job, now, <laughs> well, so. we can skip past those really quickly. <laughs> Wait a minute. All right, let's talk about Texas a little bit more because I don't want to I don't want to talk about the staff stuff. Uh, so. Texas, uh, that part of Texas near the Mexican border is very different than being in San Antonio or Dallas or, or Houston. What was it like down there? Uh, it was really a lot of fun. Um, a lot of boating activity. Uh, a lot of folks go to that to South Padre Island to, um, you know, vacation. Right. Um, especially spring breakers. Mm. At that time, the island itself, I think there were 2,000 residents, but... During spring break, it was swelled to 100,000. That's crazy. So we were working a lot with uh, South Potter Island Police Department and other and Texas Rangers and uh, Department of Safety and so forth. Um, but it, it was it was a good time. What were the Texas Rangers like? There, there's no other law enforcement on earth like the Texas Rangers. Uh, yeah, they're unique. Um, I, I had to work with them a few times to, to keep my own guys out of trouble sometimes because they enjoyed spring break a little bit too much. <laughs> That's funny. All right, cool. So after Texas, you went to a, your, a staff job? Yes. I went to uh, a new unit that was being established called the Deployable Operations Group, the DOG, mm. um, at, at uh, Boston Commons in, uh, in Arlington. Okay. It was okay. Uh, I was in charge of, first I was the public affairs officer. Oof. And then I transitioned into being the TACLET Port Security Unit um, Manager. Sorry, you said Arlington. Which state are we talking about? In Virginia. In Virginia, not yeah. Texas. No. Yeah. yeah, Arlington, Virginia. Well, Arlington, Texas would be nowhere near water. Why would you be there? <laughs> um, so basically that, that group, the Deployed by Operations Group, the DOG, was stood up to um, provide basically mobile forces for the Coast Guard to shoot wherever they need to go uh, to meet the missions, uh, to make us a little more nimble. Right. That's cool. I mean, it, mm-hmm. for a staff job, it's still a pretty cool staff job. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, I mean, you had your DC commute, which is never a whole lot of fun because mm. it's planes, train or trains and automobiles and buses. Yeah. Um, You're not in Southern Texas anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah. All right, were you happy to be home? Yeah, yeah home ish. Yeah, DC is not Central Virginia, but it's yeah, it's made, close enough. Made travel to for the holidays a whole lot easier, um, and could get home, you know, uh, a whole lot on weekends or whenever the case may be to spend time with the, the folks here. Yeah, and you know, a ton of folks are here because you you spent the, all your formative time here. Just right. about well, formative time in Emory, at Emory and Henry as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so yeah, I, I didn't think you were going to come back. To Virginia at any point because you you've been in San Diego and Florida and Texas. Uh, did you ever go up north? 
I did. After my time with the dog, and I went down to Miami for a three-year tour. What was that uh, tour? I was the executive officer for Tactical Law Enforcement Team South. And, and that this is an 04 gig, or are you still in This is 04. Okay. Yep, this is an 04. I was at the dog as an 04, and then second half of my 04 okay. um, was XO. Uh, normally, you go XOCO, but my career path, I was a CO first, and then... That's unusual. Two tours later, became an EXO. That's really unusual. Yeah, yeah. I would have, I would have liked to have known some of the EXO things that I learned as an EXO as a CEO. Helps but, you be a better CEO. Yeah, yep. But it's not the way it worked. But anyway, um, uh, responsible for about 120 people uh, for non-law enforcement detaches. Make sure that they're, um, you know, the, their day-to-day operations. Uh, it was basically what I was responsible for. And then after that tour, I went up to Seattle. Hmm. Um, and initially. Wow, Miami, Seattle. That's that's as far as you can go without uh, going to Hawaii or Alaska. Right, almost yeah. polar opposite. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that was, that was a, a nice road trip. Got to knock off uh, a few more states in the list. I've only You drove that? Yeah. <laughs> it had to take forever. Uh, it, it took about 12 days, I think, with oh all the my. stops. Because yeah. I try to do all the national parks and so forth. Oh, that's really cool. And uh, I've only... I only have one state left I haven't been to, and that's Maine. Mm. Um, so I've been to all the other states, largely courtesy of the Coast Guard. Maine's Maine's beautiful. Uh, I'm looking forward to going. Yeah, 49 out of 50. Mm-hmm. I think I'm like at 43 right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I went up to Seattle and was the um, basically the the manager for the protection of nuclear submarines. Well, nuclear subs, the, the Coast Guard doesn't have nuclear subs. Nope. It was, uh, so it, it, at that level, you're, you're a senior officer. You're a field grade officer at this point. You're doing things that you could have never imagined. Right. And this, this was largely new. After 9-11, they um, understood that they had some vulnerabilities and that the Coast Guard could provide some support, um, make sure that there was protection for critical National, nationally critical assets um, and nuclear submarines being one of them. Sure. And so we, we provided a force, um, pretty robust, robust force of uh, protection while they were transiting. Mm. That's crazy. Yep. Well, I guess the world did get crazy after 9-11. Yep. Um, it was a, a, certainly a unique job. It was the only one of its kind. Yeah. There was one other one on the, you know, for Kings Bay. I was, up, I was managing the one in Bangor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, certainly a unique experience and working with the Navy again on, on a different level for very, uh, critical pieces of equipment. Oh my gosh. It's the most critical and learned a whole lot about the operations and, you know, some of the treaties with, uh, the Soviets or Russians. Yeah. Cause the Soviet Union is not far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, while, while we had certain things and while, why certain buildings were the way they were because, Russian satellites need to be able to look in and see if we're doing, you know, more or less of what we're supposed to be doing. But right, you know, some some pretty interesting things. And I said Soviet Union when you were there. It was, of course, just Russia. Right. Um, but then after two years, I trans I fleeted up to the um, DRE job, which is uh, basically enforcement for the whole district. So, so anything that happened from basically the California-Oregon border 
up to the Canadian border, I was getting a phone call on it that had some sort of Coast Guard interest. And that that's all ocean, or is there some some river activity? As no, well? no, there's there's a lot of waterways in there, uh, Puget Sound and and so forth. But um, anything that had to do with law enforcement, search and rescue, or uh, in some cases environmental pollution, anything like that, oh. I, I was aware of it and taking action on it. And how uh, you're an 05 at this point, or are no, you still an 04? I was an o, I was an 05 when I went to Seattle. Okay, yeah, and so. Uh, what rank did you enjoy the most? Probably Lieutenant 03. Yeah. Because yeah. that's Moorhead City and commanding officer of a station. And CO's cool, man. Being yeah. a, that's that's where it's at. Yep. And uh, uh, 05, I enjoyed that. I mean, because you're, you're senior at the time. Um, wasn't a whole whole lot of 06 jobs I really, really wanted. Right. And there may have been one or two, but certainly not as fun as is some of the other jobs. It gets less fun <laughs> the older you get, <laughs> for sure. So uh, you just retired. Right, right? last year, yeah. Uh, what, and it, did you retire in part because you're like, there's not that many interesting 06 billets out there? Well, yeah, and there's the upper out. So yeah. um, I was very fortunate to have a whole lot of field time. Uh I didn't spend a whole lot of time working on a master's degree. Had really no interest in getting a master's degree. And, of course, you know, your 06s and above are really smart people, and I don't fit into that category either. So I have my my experience going for me, and that's about it. Um, But uh, I really – I didn't really have an interest in going any higher, and I was ready to to get out after 26 years. It's a long time, man. It's a really long time. And and I will tell you, Chuck – what you have just described in the last hour, there's nobody that's followed that path in the history of our country. There's no way. It's, it's different. There's, even if we can find somebody who did the honor guard thing twice uh, and, and, and followed the locations you followed and had the same jobs, which I don't think is true, but even if you found it, you also went to air assault school. <laughs> you went to an army air assault school. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I knew of a couple of other folks that went to airborne school and I actually sent a couple when I had the opportunity to do that. I sent a couple of folks to Airborne, but Aerosol was a little bit different. I think they've had some subsequently go, but um, I, I think I was probably one of the first. Oh, yeah, you had to be. And just to wrap it up on my end, uh, after Seattle, I got a response job down in in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Mm. I, I tried to sell it to my wife as the uh, San Diego, the Gulf Coast. Um, she bought it for the first day. Uh, I really enjoyed Corpus Christi. She, not so much. Why didn't uh, she like it? Uh, because it was not the San Diego. Oh, it's definitely not San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I really enjoyed it. Everything's convenient. Everything's, I mean, uh, it's very slow paced, very down to earth. I mean, my job there was busy. I was basically responsible for a lot of the same things from the Mexican border up to our uh, district line or our sector line with Houston, Galveston. Mm. Um, so a lot of activity going on down there, uh, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, and my wife is Venezuelan, and met her in Miami, and I thought she would really enjoy, you know, the the Tex-Mex influence and culture and not so much it's it's different right it's a little different and it's not san diego 
It's not San Diego. It's not Venezuela. Yeah, but they do both have uh, aircraft carriers. They both do have oceanfront. <laughs> uh, but besides that, yeah, not uh, a whole, not a whole lot. Uh, was that your last stop? That was my before I retired. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, did you come back to Virginia right after retirement? Yep. All right. Well, before we talk about retirement, and what you're doing these days, t- tell us about your wife. Um, Yarlene was uh, my neighbor in Miami, and she took very good care of me. Uh, I guess she knew that I was a starving artist of sorts because. She would offer, you know, I'm, I made this extra, you know, chicken and rice. Would you like some? Um, sure. <laughs> and uh, it was on from there. Yeah. Did you cook a lot for yourself? Uh, Chick-fil-A did a lot of cooking for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a cook myself. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but I made it. And, uh, um, yeah, and she was she was a trooper and moving to to uh, Seattle and then down to Corpus. Um, I thought she would enjoy Corpus more than Seattle, but she really loves Seattle, the weather. Mm. Um, the weather in Seattle is very different than what you think it is. Uh, from May to October, sunny every day. We didn't even have air conditioning in the house. Oh, wow. Um, and it was a brand new house. Mm. October to March, yeah, you're going to have your great, you're going to have very gray days and some misty rain, um, but it's uh, it's interesting weather up there. I've never been there. I've never uh, certainly lived there, but I've most people from the East Coast think it just rains all the time there. Right. It's not true to your point about the summer, right. but even in the winter, it's gray, but it's, it's more of a misty rain than the downpours we tend to get on the right. eastern half of the country. And it's not super cold. Yeah, it's weird. Yep. Because it is pretty it far, pretty far north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, well, you got to experience the entire country. Right, let, me, let me ask you this: You've been to a bunch of national parks. Mm-hmm. What's the best one that you've been to? Oh wow! I mean, I I like the battlefields, but um, uh, I think Yellowstone and Yosemite are captivating. Yeah, uh, Mammoth Cave is incredible. Just you know that that much expanse down there and underneath and all that's going on uh, it's just so much and so many of them uh, i think there are 487 national parks monuments battlefields and so forth i've, I've gone to about uh, 289 so i still have a few more to go you're more than halfway there so hopefully i'll knock those out at some point but. all right what's your favorite battlefield uh well i like bull run mm. um that's interesting uh, Petersburg, of course, is interesting. Yeah, the crater down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are interesting. And then uh, I didn't, I didn't know, really know that Chickamauga was as big as it was. Mm. And so it had some interesting aspects down there as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, you're talking about battlefields that like armies were fighting each other, mm-hmm. uh, and you were a Coast Guard guy. Did you did you regret not joining the army? And I, I know maybe some of your Coast Guard buddies will hear this. Did you ever want to? Join the army at any point? Not at all. Even when you were at air assault school? No. Nope. <laughs> no. There are a lot of incredible people in the Coast Guard. A lot of people that I owe, you know, a whole my career to, my my development as a leader, development as a person, uh, to folks in the Coast Guard that, you know, they'll never know who they are, but they certainly did a, um, had a significant impact. Yeah. And, and 
by and large, really good people. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's. I'm going to ask you. It's, we're going to. This transition's awful. It's the worst transition uh, of this entire thing. <laughs> You're a t- uh, talk show host. You got your own talk show. You get to invite three guests, male, female, musical group. This is meant to be revealing about who you are and your and your taste sort mm-hmm. of thing. The uh, everybody can be alive or dead. This can be for your entertainment. This can be for the world's entertainment. This could be thought provoking. It's whatever you want to be. But you have those three guests. Who are they? Wow. Uh, all right. Well, musical group. Um, that's either. Let's go with Run DMC. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, Public Enemy would be a close second, followed by um, uh, Doobie Brothers, probably. Okay. But um, Run DMC was awesome when we were in high school. Yes. They were amazing. Yep. Really, really enjoy listening to them. My, I know my friend Kevin Thomas, I think I wore out his stereo playing the first Run DMC album that came out and probably drove his mom crazy with it. But Yeah, I wore that tape cassette out mm-hmm. big time. Um Woman, probably um, Condoleezza Rice. Okay. Uh, just because she has a broad introspection on so many different things, from politics to sports to to you name it. I think she could she could probably uh, educate you on a lot of different things. I could talk to her for weeks. Yes. And not be bored the entire time. Yep. Yeah. That's a great answer. And, I mean, there are so many people to choose from. I'd certainly like to talk to my dad again. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, probably Michael Jordan. Mm. Just to, you know. It's the greatest athlete in, yeah. of our generation anyway. Yeah, probably so. And just how he navigated everything and and what drove him. And, and I mean, you see the documentaries and the series and so forth. But, you know, just just to talk to him and, and – and be in the presence, I guess. Yeah. All right, let's end with uh, talking about your family or mm-hmm. your kids. Tell us about your kids. Uh, right now, um, my son Kyler, he's a police officer up in the Everett, Washington area. Um, he's always wanted to be a police officer. I keep trying to tell him, you know, why don't you go federal? Why don't you go federal? You know, you have more, more you know, you just – do more things as a federal yeah. law enforcement. A lot more officer. opportunities, yeah. And he said, "Nope, oh, this is something I've always wanted to do." Mm. And uh, I applaud him. Ever since he started watching cops as a kid on TV, that's all he's ever wanted to do. And, Laser focused, and and he's done it. And then uh, middle daughter Riley, she is a sophomore at the University of Washington. And then my youngest daughter Reagan is uh, a senior at Timberland High School in in Washington and probably going to go to University of Washington or somewhere in Washington State area, even though I try to convince, I tried to convince all three of them to go to Emory. Emory's right here. Mm -hmm. And they relented and told me that they would apply. (laughs) Um, But that's about- It's kind of a consolation prize for dad kind of thing. As far as it got. Yeah, that's funny. All right, cool. Well, uh, Chuck, I'll tell you, you and I haven't seen each other in quite some time. Yeah, it's been years. I, yeah, uh, but I am super proud of you for who you uh, are and who you were during uh, your time in the Coast Guard. I can't thank you enough for your service to this country, and I really appreciate you joining me tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. 
listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com. Thank you.